This is a podcast about failure. With me, Lola Berry, author, nutritionist, and yoga teacher. Join me as we get to know these guests and learn about how their failures have ultimately shaped their dreams. Welcome to Fearlessly Failing with Lola Berry. Lol's here. Just a quick check-in. In the last week, so much has been going on in the world, Uh, pretty confronting stuff, but also very necessary things. Um, We've had protests here in Australia. Obviously, there's been a lot of rioting and protesting going on in America. And out of respect to that, we paused last Monday's episode Um, with the incredible Jen Fontaine and she, I called her about pausing the episode and she said, look, we can have a discussion about what's really going on on the ground now. And she was really brave and jumped on and we had a quick chat, which came out uh, last week. That's last week's episode. Now, this episode that you're hearing now, we actually recorded this about three weeks ago and it was the first time that we have recorded an online episode. Uh, But we feel so lucky to have this wonderful human being on here. Jen Fontaine is a powerhouse. She's been working in the music industry since she was 19 years old at both Sony and Warner. She now has created her own management company called Private Idaho Management. And she looks after some of the big guns, iconic music people in Australia like Guy Sebastian and Human Nature. She's got a beautiful outlook and so much passion. I love the way she talks about artists. I think anybody will gain something from this chat. I really hope you enjoy this episode with Jen Fontaine. Hello, Jen Fontaine. I'm so excited to have you here. Haven't met you in person yet, but you're in LA and we're in a coastal town out of Melbourne. We're kind of on Zoom, Skype, a bit of everything going on here. We're via lots of... We're on on the other side of the world. I'm so excited to speak to you, Lola. Oh, I'm so pumped to have you here. Jen Fontaine, you have created your own company, Private Idaho Management, and you manage some of the most iconic Australian musicians. To me, though, this is one part of all these other amazing things that you've done and I'm sure you continue to do today. So I guess I wanted to kickstart with where it all begun for you. Oh, Wow. Yeah, we can take it right back. I've read as a teenager, you used to watch all those entertainment TV shows. So I'm guessing you always had this kind of like passion for music. I did. I mean, I just loved it. I was just so drawn to performers and music and just, uh, I guess, the excitement of of artists and what they did and song. And I remember my brother, you know, we were – it was just my sibling and I and, and a single parent mum and we used to spend a lot of time at home in school holidays on our own because my mum was a physiotherapist and had a thriving practice and used to, you know, scribble down to-do lists which we could never read and decipher. And all I would do is play my Prince Purple Rain record, you know, like at ad nauseum to the point where it was back in the day it was like vinyl and lots of different things and my brother chased me around the house and said, if you play that thing one more time, I'm going to break it over your head. You know, and I just loved it. I played the piano. I wasn't very good at it. I sold that to backpack around the world with my best friend after school, you know, but I just always wanted to be somewhere in entertainment. I just didn't know how or why at that point, you know. So is it true that you were 19 when you went for the job at Sony? That's pretty young. I did. I mean, I started, I, I jumped um, after I graduated and I deferred going to uni for a while. I went with my best friend. We lived overseas and I had these crazy ass jobs, you know, like just randomly weird things, sold makeup at Moulton Brown, you know, and sold makeup to Fergie and Princess Di and this really amazing Mayfair thing. It was just ridiculous what I did. I, I don't know how I ever managed to get a job. I've never done makeup in my life. But so I came back home to Australia and I, you know, went back to school and and I really just uh, had a great friend of mine that rang me one day and said, there's a temp job, Jen, that's going at Sony Music. You know, you should come and, and, and work there and try, you, you know, try it out and so I did and I worked in promotions and 
and just sort of I unpacked promo boxes and stuffed shelves of all the latest CDs and just did anything I could to learn in this environment and and it was my biggest opportunity. I stayed there for, you know, nearly a decade and worked for the chairman and 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 worked my way into publicity. Loved it. Can I ask about the chairman? My boyfriend Bosso, it's Des- Dennis Handlin, right? Yes, yes. My boyfriend Bosso says he's a bit of a lord. He has so much respect in the music industry and he said that he's responsible for a lot of Australia's music history. Yeah, he taught me this expression. It's called attention to detail, ATD. He had it on his number plate of his car. And uh, it was a really great grounding for me. I called uh, Sony, you know, my chance to learn everything and that's what I did. Um, And, yeah, he's one of my mentors today. Um, Great sense of humour. Um, a relationships person, uh, knew the basics, the nuts and bolts, um, you know, and it really is about follow-through in life, no matter what you do, whatever your project is, you know, have a plan, know how to execute it, be responsible to yourself and the people that you promise things to because, you know, again, in this industry, if you don't have it together, you're never going to succeed and that project will never have light. Um, and so it was a great it was a great stomping ground for me. I learned so much and uh, a lot, a lot of people from those record company days are still my friends and people I work with today and have to relate to. You know, it was amazing. And you were so young as well. I heard in an interview where you described your time at Sony as your military training, and I mean that yeah. in the best possible way, like kind of taught you it did. Um, a discipline. Uh, it, oh, it did. It, it obviously taught me work ethic and, you know, it was back in the day and, you know, uh, Matt would tell you about this, but, you know, when the music industry had budgets, real budgets, it was pretty glorious. It's still glorious now. And, you know, now I think about what we used to spend on and how you can wisely choose where you actually put investment is a much better place to be in uh, right now. But, um, you know, I went I went to Sony and I learned these grassroots and, and I had a, a really great, great experience. I mean, nearly 10 years. And then I went to Warner's and at the time that was like, you know, um, the good ship lollipop I I was like what do you what do you mean you don't have a schedule let me get the basics going here but what I also learned was that um there were other ways to approach tasks and I think that's the good thing in our industry and particularly in music you know it's had so many phases and even now because of coronavirus you know the industry is hurting so much and you have to be adept to be able to change because if you think you've only got one way to do something you'll never get through this industry through all the changing cycles and um, and I don't know about yourself, Lola, but I really don't like to be classified in genres or what's cool or not cool. You know, I think that's just that's just bullshit. It, it, it's something that's great and either commercial or a unique sound that's for a specific moment. That's sort of that's art, and and that's how products should are launched. And and so I think that you know you have to be really really open. And I the one of the hardest questions you could ever ask me is. Who's your favourite artist? Because I don't. There's no way, no way in the world I'll ever you'll ever get that out of me. You know, I didn't have that as a question, but what I did read about you is that you've worked with so many incredible artists over the years from your time at Sony and Warner, and obviously right now you represent massive Australian mm. artists like Guy Sebastian and Human Nature, and we're talking like Aria Award winning artists here as well. But I've also seen a list of artists that you've worked with through your history of working with musicians, whether it be Red Hot Chili Peppers, Jeff Buckley, I saw you work with Delta Goodrum, and this is just, a, you know, I'm just giving a taste of this. Is there any story where you've been completely blown away or you've met an artist and they've had that kind of like magic or they've got a quirk or is there a story? I don't know exactly what I'm looking for here, but I guess is it true that they kind of have that magic thing about them? Art is a special breed, you know. Um, I think it's it, it's it's probably. I just admire their resilience and the courage that they have because for you to open up as a performer and a singer or to be judged around a lyric and a song, you know, that's just that is such an exposing time and they're vulnerable and yes of course they come with personality and and sometimes uh, bravado but uh but make no mistake they are really incredibly 
diverse individuals and sometimes fragile, actually. And so I, I think my job as a manager and, and, and no matter what role, whether it was back in the day publicity or, or any of that, my job was a facilitator. Um, you know, I help provide a platform and guide them to feel safe so that they can shine. And I know that sounds a little kind of clinical or, or maybe, a, 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 but for me, they're just people. You know, mm. and and yeah, they're superstars behind that mic or when the sh- the there's someone's being interviewed, it's their moment, and I respect them, and and I know that it's my job to protect and and allow them to be great. But they're just people, and when you really get to know them and you see them in, in this world, I, I'm still blown away at how lucky I am today. Like it, it's you know, it's a gift. Um, that I, I don't take for granted. I really don't. And so I like to protect people. Maybe I'm too protective at times, you know what I mean? But I know what it's like because I've seen the fragility around the acts as well. You know, I, I've obviously Jeff Buckley is, you know, someone that's no longer here today. He was always fragile. But when that voice and that moment mm-hmm. when the, some of those songs kicked in and him live and we were at the um, Phoenician Club in Sydney and, you know, we had to fill that room but, like, it was a glorious moment and Katie Lang singing Hallelujah for six minutes, you know, with Andrew Denton and, and it was a, a moment when we booked that song and no one did six-minute songs on television and he's like, I will not tell Katie Lang to shorten this song. You know, it wasn't her song, granted, but, you know, for her to sing that... It was a moment, you know, and yeah, sure, the chili peppers and yeah, I'm just, I'm lucky. It's a, it's a blessed life that I've had, but please don't under, don't misunderstand that it's not, you know, when you work in music and you work in, in any form of media, as you know, and you expose yourself to people, it's a roller coaster. And you have to, for for all the highs, the tremendous lows, which I know which is why we're talking, you know, but for them as well, you know, for those moments of glory, there was hours, months, years of work that goes into something like that, millions of no's, um, you know, criticism and all these things. And I don't want to dwell on that, but that is a moment and uh, that you have to relish, especially for an artist when you see them fly. For all those number ones, there's probably 20 singles that were hovering and maybe not performing and being analysed, you know. So it's just... Um, uh, but when you when you're looking at art, I'm really really protective of what music represents, you know. And it's had some really hard knocks around music, you know. I always say to people, it 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 is one of the of all the art forms one that's devalued. Um, yeah. And it's and and you know, would you walk into the Louvre and take the Mona Lisa off the hook? No, you wouldn't, you know. So music is is growing, and there's Australian artists that are killing it at the moment, and so they should, and stands up to the rest of the world. And that's the other thing I have to say is I shine light on the Australians because I just think it's there's just so much talent in our country. I've absolutely heard you say that you are fiercely loyal to Aussie talent and it's so refreshing. And another thing I um, have read about you is about you're passionate about nurturing the talent. And it's there is a stigma around managers and and even as talent now it takes a few goes to f- kind of find the right manager and you're like, do they want yeah. me for me or is it do I have a dollar sign on my head? And I think it takes time to find that right manager. It's like a long-term life partner or relationship. It's, ab- <laughs> it's a marriage and, and you know, um, I think it, it, obviously long-term partnership is wonderful and, uh, and all of that but sometimes – it's also you got to know when to call it, you know, and yeah. I, I haven't necessarily been in that position, but I've had some rosters that, you know, that have come and gone. But we, look, as graceful as your entry is, you have to have a graceful exit and it's possible, you know. Um, it doesn't always have to be belly up, um, but I think, you know, yeah, managers can have a pretty rotten name for themselves, but I think you have to base your things on uh, having integrity. Um, yeah. I like to lead with honesty and sometimes that's a hard uh, hard to be re- on the receiving end of honesty and it's hard to deliver it. Um, but at the same time, the truth will set you free. So you have to stay with that and stay really loyal and integral. And, um, and I'm really lucky because I have clients that the way they conduct themselves, what you see is what they get. There's no on-off button. They really are like that 24-7. Um, they're kind, they're gracious and they're respectful. 
Um, so I guess I'm lucky I've got to that place in my career where I can have that because they're not always like that. I think how good that what you see is what you get. I think that's also very rare. And the truth will set you free. My mantra is mm. just be real. And I think you, with you, talking to you, I really feel like the like attracts like thing is totally uh, valid. And I think yeah. something that I really love and can feel from what you're saying is you really care about your talent. And it seems like your underlying kind of like set point of value is to care, be honest, and to, like, no bullshit. And I think only good can come from that, of course, with a lot of resilience and pounding the pavement. But if that's your ultimate dharma, which is what we, uh, like passion, we call that in yoga, if it's kind of to serve, to care, to nurture, you can't really go wrong. I like to do that for the talent. I also like to do it for my team. Um, you know, I, I didn't, I had great, I was lucky. I had people that liked me enough to spend time and, and teach me things. Um, but you know, I, I worked through the, the, the nineties and, and the two thousands and, you know, it wasn't always an easy environment. I don't have any negative stories. I don't have any, uh, crisis stories, but, you know, um, I think right now there's just so much more noise, you know, I guess we've all, we're reachable 24 seven, we're running our own socials. Then you got the company socials, then you got e emails and, I just want to empower people because if you empower your clients or you empower your team to be better, great. And that's why I'll hand over one of my contacts and a mobile number and an email uh, and say, here, reach this person. This is what they like. You know, say this and see how you go. And people are like, how do you, why would you hand over your contacts? I'm like, well, it's not me. It's someone else. It's okay. That's also a testament to you though. It's also about what you said before about being honest, being the real deal I believe also that there's really nothing that you lose from giving. No, there's nothing to lose. And and look, um, I mean, sometimes people don't know in the beginning, people wouldn't know how I, you know, because I'm a tactile bear, this whole isolation, COVID, you can't cuddle people. That's a real problem for me. And I'm, I'm obviously, you know, you know, rising to the occasion and, and not doing that. But I'm a really tactile person. Um, and I think that's just because, again, you have to like people to do what we do. You know, you interface with a lot of people and I do as well. And I just, you, you want to be in it for the right reason. But trust me, when I need to sleep, I'll go to bed. You know, I can't always be in a high esteemed position. I try and keep myself and, and be really aware of my energy levels now, you know, because especially when you're working two time zones and, and other things, um, you, you have to learn to let your clients and your team and even myself rest. And it's not often, but when you do it, you got to do it. And I think that's been something I've really learned over these years as well, because it's a very demanding industry. Absolutely. And I think as well, when you're burned out, it's really hard to give the best version of you. Now, this bit I'm so excited to ask you about, what made you want to go from this incredible time working within the music industry from Sony, then you went to Warner, and what made you go, no, I'm going to create mm -hmm. my own baby, I'm going to create private Idaho management. I read a quote uh, where Dennis, you looked to Dennis for advice and he, and he just said, go for it. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I, it was nearly two decades by the, by the time that came about and, um, you know, I, I had a, a young son at the time and I wasn't really seeing him. I was in, you know, running artist development and, and PR at Warner's at the time and I was doing what we call junkets where you take um, Australian media over to the States or to Europe and we interview people and, and I'd seen the world and, my gosh, have I seen the world. It's just phenomenal what the great things that I got to do. And when I was asked to do one more junket one morning, I actually felt sick. I was like, I looked at the CEO and inside me I just knew I, I didn't, that my time was up. And, um, and I sort of put it to him that I thought it was, you know, I said, look, it's not you, it's me. And you know how we talk about long term, you know, and I just said I, I, it, I really genuinely believe I have to give this a go and I want to stay in the industry but I need to look at it from a different side. Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean I love labels, I love what they represented but it was just time for me to fly um, separately and it was a really, really scary time to do that, you know, and and. And I, you know, I, people needed me to get to an artist or needed me to get 
there was always an outcome by associating themselves with me. And so then it, it's really the gears kind of changed because, you know, people, some people didn't ring me and, you know, you kind of, you can, you, you can get yourself all in a tangle about that and emotional and, and, and you lose a bit of identity when you, when you leave a major corporation, you know, but um, in the end, I'm so glad I, I had the guts to do it. And, but trust me, you know, when you have a team of people, you pay them first and there were hard times. There were hard times, you know. So. Oh, yeah, I, I actually love that you mentioned there were hard times because I think we often see the highlight reel and people don't see that kind of like blood, sweat <laughs> and tears that goes on behind the scenes. I love that you said that it was quite scary. Yeah. Now, I geeked yes. out a bit and I dived deep into how you named the company and it being na- named after an incredible River Phoenix movie, My Own Private Idaho. Yeah, it is, the Gus Van Sank movies. And about it kind of like symbolising taking risks for you? We take risks in everything that we do and I just, well, first I didn't, I really did not want to have to answer the phone and say Jennifer Fontaine. I, that was just traumatic for me. Um, I thought I could come up with something better than that. But um, I just, yeah, to, to be able to say that you're taking risks but you're nurturing talent and, you know, you're coming up with some really interesting plans and helping people execute their dreams. Uh, again, I go back to the fact I'm just a facilitator. Um, but, you know, I just, I love planning. I love strategy. And um, if I can find a pathway to help people achieve their dreams, then that's pretty exciting. I think you are so much more than a facilitator. I know I'm not in the music world, but being on the other side of it as talent technically, uh, you sometimes feel like such a commodity and you really feel like um, a bit alone even with people that you're working with sometimes. And, you know, just before this podcast we talked about our mutual love for Jane Nagline and we worked together professionally, oh, like six years ago and she always told it to me straight. She was my number one cheerleader and she still is that today. And as a result, we have a really strong friendship. And I think when you describe yourself as a facilitator, mm. yes, absolutely, but you're also the strength, you're providing strength, care and and nurturing to the this talent, these talent. And, you know, as talent, we can all be a little bit sensitive and fragile and ver- feel very vulnerable at times. And I think having someone like you in our corners means that um, we can have a sense of self-worth and, and a sense of somebody having our back as well as being a facilitator. So I think you're almost like a bit of a spiritual guide or something else <laughs> as well well some people I say to me you know when I was studying they were like you know what was the best thing that you you learned and I was like psychology and um yeah. and and I, I I don't say that because I I wish to you know find people and any dark secrets or anything like that it's just I think over time and some of this just comes with maturity you know I've made mistakes I haven't necessarily always necessarily been um super kind at times your youth bite you know bites you in your ass sometimes but what I have learned is that it goes back to the fact that you have to treat people the way you'd like to be treated yourself you have to be rational you need to be calm um you know for me particularly when you're in personal management you have to try and find a solution for people so if something doesn't happen go you know well I always take a moment and go okay well what's plan b let me explain why something's not working and offer some solutions because that's the big one. If you can find solutions as well as staying calm, then you have a. That's when you get the pathway. So I don't know. I, I get you know. I I can't really talk myself up other than the fact that I really like what I do and I look at things quite rationally. Um, yeah. And and you know, there's a few things that people have taught me along the way, and and that is. You know, I remember, you know, when it's particularly in media, it, I used to ring up and say, hey, would you like to do a phoner with X? And, and the journalist would be like, I'm really busy. I don't want to do it. I'm like, shit, I've lost my window. It's because I didn't pitch it right. I didn't work that one through. It's like, 
don't just say, hey, I've got time with X. Say, listen, we're, we're on, we can be on the phone. We can talk about this. Would you like to, you know, th- this is why I think it would be a really great story for your readers and really start to really develop what that pitch will be. And, and that's how I kind of learned to be better at what I did. And that's because great journalist friends, you know, like Kathy McCabe and Cameron Adams, music writers, of course, taught me to be better at my pitch if I wanted an outcome. And so I just got to learn that the story and all of that, it's got to have stickiness on everyone's side. You know, you can't just expect page one on the paper. It's got to resonate with people, you know. And so that's kind of how I learned along the way just to be better at what I did because if you don't sell the story or sell that moment, it's going to go. The moment will pass. And you've mentioned that you've got to surround yourself with the right people. And just then you mentioned some of your favourite journalists that you've worked with and they've taught you how to pitch properly. It, to me, it's, again, that like like attracts like. You're working with these people but you've also got a lot of mutual respect and together you're more working as a team as opposed to just like this is an idea, I want to get this out here. It's like how can we make this work for you and your project or publication? So to me it feels like bigger picture and like you're a big team. Oh, definitely. And the thing is too is that you have to understand the pressures out there in media or, you know, in any type of business. And and frankly, um, you know, for, for you to get the best outcome from people, you do have to have a relationship. I mean, it's all down to relationships, you know. Um, and I guess that if you can bring that into your personal life or anything else that's going on as well, that that helps, you know. I um, mean, I've learned from some big obstacles that have come my way as well. And I've heard you say there's no success without failure, so no shortcuts. And like you mentioned, you see that artist win that aria or give that perfect performance or have that number one record, but there's been 20 other you know, moments that have been missed out or hundreds of no's before there's this moment in the limelight. Look, the thing, look, the thing is for me is if you see an athlete get a gold or a silver or make, break their personal best, if you see an artist, you know, have a standing ovation, look, I get goosebumps at those moments, a ball like a baby, and the reason behind it is you're right. I mean, the thing is, is for that one moment of success, the amount of hurt, sweat, blood, tears, rejection, all of those moments have happened and we just might not have been privy to them. So for me, if I see someone else doing well, I applaud them. Because the other thing is, is you cannot stay at that high level consistently. It's, you know, those moments come and go, but you have to try and keep your law of averages just a little lower so that you can always be consistently ready to seize that opportunity the next time it comes and jump forward. Because if you get slack, then it's you're constantly climbing the hill and you can't do that either. So, you know, I do drive my clients crazy and ask them to get, you know, get ahead of things and 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 be prepared and then, you know, and sometimes they'll say, "Oh, I cop that. I cop that." And you know, I cop it too. It's not all it's not a one-way street. I got to cop feedback. And so you have to be open to it. So, I you know, I, I do applaud that moment, that golden moment. Um but you know, Lola, the other thing I'd say is that one thing I've learned is there's no such thing as perfect. I yeah. hate. Okay, you can have a perfect moment. You know, your brand might be selling perfectly, your coffee, for example, the music, the next single, whatever that is. But perfection is a really dangerous thing to live and by. And it's also subjective, right? It is. And and if you put yourself in that place, you can have a perfect performance. Three minutes could run perfectly. But otherwise, I call bullshit. It's there's many other things around perfect that you can surround yourself with, but don't live expecting a perfect. You can have a perfect day, things can run perfectly to plan, but if you live constantly only seeking perfection, you'll be disappointed, you know. Um, and I think that's just the one thing that I really feel you have to watch. I feel like you would love my acting school teachers. They're like, guys, this is the Olympics. Stay ready, be prepared, do the work, and then do a truckload more work. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. I love that. I have learned so much about discipline from acting school. One, because it petrifies me and you still have to get up and give it your best every every time you're there. But also the expectation, expectation workload is high and it's making me realise, hey, Lola, you can work harder. 
Now, I didn't want to do this interview without asking you this next question and I want to ask about when you are at the Arias and everything was amazing career-wise but your beautiful son Maxwell turned to you and said something. Can you share something about that? I mean, we were just with the night, the human nature being inducted into Hall of Fame. I've worked with the guys for nearly 20 years. I've managed them for nearly 10. Um, it was a momentous occasion. Um, you know, obviously a huge amount of teamwork went into that for that opportunity for the boys. They completely nailed their performance. Um, you know, Guy, of course, was hosting the Arias. His wife, Jules, was hosting the red carpet. He wins Song of the Year out of the blue, couldn't believe it, performs uh, Video of the Year. And it was just all this really glorious moment. My son and I hadn't been uh, together for five months because uh, late uh, last year, my, we, you know, behind the scenes, uh, my mum was in treatment um, back in Australia and I pretty much set up camp with my brother and I um, helping her through that. And that's really hard when you, uh, you're freshly um, separated from your husband and divorced. And anyway, Maxwell turned around backstage and it was pandemonium. It was fabulous, you know, in the dressing rooms and guys there and the boys and, and uh, Dennis and the Sony family and media and and I don't know how the blue, he just turned around to me and grabbed me and said, Mum, you know, I, I'm i just so proud of you. I'm just so proud of you and all the sacrifices you make for me and for us to have a better life. And I just, it was the best thing as a mum you could ever be told because I'm not a very traditional parent. You know, I'm absent a lot and and I it can be really, really hard and, you know, and he's such a goal setter himself and I was honestly the best thing that I've ever heard my son say to me. I just, blows this tears me up now, you know, yeah, so. And I bet that was better than any kind of career highlight, having your son turn to you and say, no. and say that. And I'm pretty sure I got to meet Maxwell. Yeah, the you other did. Day. Well, he's my tech, my tech guru. Thank God. Because I was like, <laughs> you know, I'm lucky to find the powerpoints. <laughs> it's a real moment. But you know, it was yeah. And he's been, he's just been fantastic. You know, because I, I guess when you talk about failure, my, you know, one of my hardest things for me is oh, I was in, you know, close to a 20 year marriage um, with Maxwell's father and. Um, and for, you know, I guess I never thought I'd be a statistic. I'm a product of a divorced, um, you know, mum who was a go-getter and my ex was also from a divorced family and I just think we just didn't see signposts that we should have done and, and I spent so much time helping clients have their careers and achieve these goals and and then I just realised I was incredibly lonely in my own marriage and to admit, and then I just thought to myself to actually have to admit that my marriage was failing was I felt like was I, I'm a failure and mm. I felt really compromised and you know then one day I just thought I'm so lonely in my own marriage why am I fearing being on my own you know mm. like if you're that lonely and we just eroded and um and so for me I learned that I had to wake up because I think the last 10 years of my life I was in a coma and yet all this professional success. And so I wasn't balanced and uh, I have to acknowledge that and sometimes I still feel guilty today. But, um, you know, and there were times last year where I was in fetal position in my bed not being able to get out of it Uh, and that's the truth. You can't sit here and say your life is perfect. It was far from perfect and the one reason I got up every day was to teach my son that no matter what you're going through, you've got to get out of bed, you got to make that bed, and you've got to try and make things happen to change the groove or the bad groove, which was my groove, um, and make it better. And I'm thankful because my clients, I didn't tell them for a long time, but eventually I had to. And they put a world of love around me, and mm-hmm. I had to teach myself to laugh again and have fun inside you know, because you're obviously in the health space, you know how important that is because if you're not laughing on the inside, there's a lot of problems that are going on. And you see my industry is full of putting on, um, you know, no matter what, an exterior. And that's hard for an artist too. They're going through sometimes in their days. They have to sing and they have to communicate on a day when they don't 
really want to, but it's their job, you know, to give pleasure to other people. And I, it was my job to to make all these things happen and I realised, you know what, Jen, you didn't check yourself and I didn't check myself. I know, I know you mentioned guilt in there, but when I hear this story, I hear courage and I hear resilience, two things we kind of mentioned at the beginning of this interview and I think that it would have taken a huge amount of courage to be like, hang on a minute, mm. this doesn't feel right for me, I need to value myself. And then I think also with that would have come the health and the working out as well. Do you know Do you know when Jane sent through your bio, she sent through these amazing photos of you and she's like, she looks so good. And then, and then I'm That's... texting Jane going, oh, my God, she's so hot. So it was a mutual appreciation of all your hard work. <laughs> Thank you. It's just, um, well, I can't do yoga. I'm telling you right now I'd fail on a yoga mat next to you. I'm a pumper of iron. But um, I, don't, I think it's just... Look, whatever's your your fancy, I realised that I wasn't ha- living a well-rounded life and I and I had to really cop that myself. And I said, well, you have to cop it on the chin. I had to cop that on my chin. And I'm still a work in progress out of that, but I have to tell you um, I, I do laugh more um, and it's not my ex's fault, you know. Um, he's already in another relationship and that's all fine and, you know, we've made this incredible sun together. Um, but I really realized that you just have to stop and check yourself. Um, because if I want to be better and I still got a lot of life left into me, I have to be better at checking myself. And so it came about also, you know, cause out of the blue, m- you know, my mum and her treatment was, you know, like this is the strongest, most resilient woman. And she still refuses to use the C word. Um, it's a very annoying disease that she's quite frankly squashing and I have to tell you you know there was a moment where I was in my double denim and my slides and looked pretty good and mum sashayed into the chemo ward at the same time and she was head to toe dripping with her ears on you know earrings in and everything like that and you know it's not a it's not a happy place a chemo ward but and there was some poor individuals you know under the blankets and in come this mother and daughter team let me tell you we sashayed down that ward and mum we know we sat in this chair and we we just she owned and still does own the treatment you know and i yeah. think she's a lesson that she will not be defined and uh and i just love that mm, yeah do you, do you think you've got some of your strength your resilience and your tenacity from your mum 100% 100% and i also have it you know in artists and the music industry because this is one of the most resilient industries it's there to help people no matter what music's there when you get married when you lose someone uh, at a party um, you know when you need a moment particularly around this current circumstances music's been so powerful for me and for everyone and so I, I learn resilience from a really unique terrain and let me tell you if I have wanted to give I could there's been so many times where I thought I could have given up but I just decided I love this too much that you can't give up. But, you know, I've gone many routes where I thought what else could I be doing, you know, and I always just come back to this uh, because it makes me happy. It's so weird that it makes me happy. But trust me, there's there's struggles. There's definitely struggles. Yeah, and you've got such a full plate as well because you split your time between Sydney and Los Angeles and then you've got different time zones on top of that. But I did this thing where I listened to another podcast with you on it and that's my golden rule. I never listen to other podcasts because I don't want my questions to be the same. Uh, But I did this with you because I was so nervous to have you on and I heard you say that you have eight minutes in the morning to practice gratitude. Is that right? I try to. Yeah, I do. I mean, sometimes it's, I have to say in these last couple of um, weeks, sometimes it's a little less, but then other times it's a lot more. The mindfulness is I live with two mobile phones. Both of them are kept on. One's meant to be American. One's meant to be Australian. You clearly should turn one of them off. I never do. Then I have a laptop. Then I have my PC. And so I'm constantly stimulated. Um, and so now for me, I wake up and especially last year when it had so many challenges, I decided I had to uh, speak to some higher powers. Um, firstly, 
about help and then secondly about what I was grateful for. Um, and I know gratitude lists can be a little corny these days, um, but it's more um, just, again, for me, I have to find my reason and my purpose. Um, and when you live two lives in two different cities um, and it is a little relentless, I, I just wanted to make sure I could set the tone of my day um, because your tone of your day can get quite quickly shifted you know one bad phone call one email one crisis or whatever and so yeah I do I just um I take that time apart from exercise apart from my son and the two dogs that we have here in LA um to I, th- I can see yeah, one of those set. big fluffy the, white the dogs behind size you. of horses they're the Dulux <laughs> dogs so the big old English sheep dogs so good um <laughs> I love them uh so I I just I'm obsessed I'm obsessed with animals. Uh, but so I just, I, I do this time for myself um, because it's so easy to rush out of bed, be late for yoga, be late for the gym, be late for business, you know, or be late to put the kettle on. And um, it's just taught me and slowed me down a little bit. I do need to slow down. Um, I try and check my nighttime. That's that's an interesting one because I do... Um, I don't want to let my team down in Australia, so I tend to go to bed, you know, like midnight, one o'clock most times here in LA, um, so I can do pr- predominantly an Australian work day on top of mine. Um, so it's a little bit of a juggle, but, you know, if you're going to have an interesting life, there are some consequences to that, so you just have to find the time. And I think it's about your perspective too. I mean, you each day you have your time for gratitude and mindfulness and then you've got your Australiana time, you've got your Los Angeles time. And I think that, and obviously an incredibly high workload, but that's a testament to you representing some of the biggest artists in our country, you know, like you've got your guy Sebastian and and then human nature. And were you managing them when they started their residency in Vegas? No, so they started earlier in Vegas. I was part of the, I was on media side of things. So they were already established there um, and um, and now I've joined them with, uh, you know, two different concept shows uh, and obviously came over here to really develop them. But, you know, for them too, we're in obviously this time with um, the coronavirus has been really, really difficult for them. So we're behind the scenes, you know, with a, a show that's reliant um, five nights a week they're, you know, on average 40 weeks a year plus touring back in Australia, you know, they're one of the greats that have been severely um, affected, you know, because in this time where you can't congregate for anything, you know, more than 10 people, well, that clearly means that um, the show is not on. Um, And, you know, an average audience, um, you know, 40 plus for them on a live scale, much younger in certain other areas, you know, it's it's a really difficult time to navigate. So f- behind the scenes, we're working hard, but you have never, I have to say, these four men, they have integrity by the bucket load. Uh, the way they communicate with each other is extraordinary. Yeah, they're strong, um, but, you know, their conduct's extraordinary. We are, we've got lots of different versions of what we're trying to do. We've, we're, you know, trying to reach the fans, um, you know, keep, uh, keep working and striving for something new. And, and that takes time and that takes teamwork. Um, so, you know, for me, yeah, they're incredible. So we've got the Vegas story as well. Um, obviously, you know, um, it's really just down to navigating. And, and I have to say that, you know, for so many people in our industry right now, Lola, they're hurting, you know, we're talking, uh, our crew, our, you know, lighting tech, our pr- production team, glam squads, creative people, they're just out of work and we have to find a way. And so for me to, sure, it's difficult being isolated in America, it's a law of numbers and it's really frightening and I'm so happy to see everyone at home doing so well and the country having responded, Australia and New Zealand were phenomenal in their response and control. But, you know, look at the airlines, these are all part of our pie and, you um, so for me, I'm just, I want to try and raise awareness. There's obviously Support Act, which is, you know, helping the mental health for the people in the creative industries and services because there are people really struggling right now. And for now, you know, but the artists themselves, it's just, it's really, it's diabolical. So it's so great podcasts, 
streaming, you know, all these ways of now interacting with everyone virtually. Zoom is obviously clearly going off. Um, but, you know, that's we have to come up with a new way yet again of reaching our fans and having our business. Um, so I'm so glad you mentioned mental health and I think especially as artists and creatives, there's a very sensitive side. And I think even right now when we're, there's so much uncertainty, for me, mental health is my non-negotiable and the way that you lift weights mm. and, and it's part of your daily routine. Like I call seeing my therapist once a week as my gym for the brain and it's yeah. completely non-negotiable and it means that I can handle rejection much clearer and less with less emotion and, and I let go of it much faster. And I just think as a creative, I think looking after your mental health is hallmark, like so, so important do you mm. kind of agree with that? Oh, completely. I mean, again, it's just down to um, providing a, an ability to communicate. Um, you know, I think in our industry, uh, any form of it, whether you're in television, radio, print, um, obviously music for me, um, we're here to, to take people away from there every day um, and give them hope. And what you have to understand is whether you're a roadie or a tech person, you get on with that job no matter what the hell is going on. And these people work so hard. So I feel that um, Australians, the she'll be right, is always can be a devil and a curse for our culture um, because it's not always right. It's actually not always right. And so, um, you know, another thing I've learned is listen to your gut and, and know when people are hurting and you can you can feel it. We check in. We're checking in, you know, a lot of guys' team aren't working right now um, and, and so we try and check in with each other. The Human Nature Boys are doing Zooms with their band and with their crew um, in Vegas so they can, you know, check in and, and, and Guy's done so much to reach out to his own team and we send each other silly memes and gifts and I know that sounds stupid but like if we don't have our humor we got nothing mm. like I am tragically twisted in my sense of humor <laughs> um <laughs> I love that though I, I actually have a I have a fangirl story about Guy I was probably 18 years old and yeah. I was working in this fashion store in Greville yeah. Street Paran and we were dressing guy he just come off idol and we were dressing guy for the tv show rove and he got swamped to the point that like the <laughs> shop was completely full of people this um super fan had a his a picture of his head on the side of a tote bag and they were yeah. like uh, not mauling him all over him and he was the kindest guy to everyone, to me, to everybody that wanted to speak to him. He had time for everyone. And going back to what you said at the start, it, it's like you're working with people and what you see is what you get. And yeah. I felt like that was also how Guy was. He was just very genuine and kind. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he and his wife, Jules, Jules is the most extraordinary woman. I always say if, if the world could have more Jules Sebastian in it, um, it would be a better place because she gives women a great name. Um, and Guy and Jules are just, you know, they always say, that, you know, they know their roots, they know where they came from, they're family-based people, um, you know, they, they love their families and they know, they have a great sense of who they are. So what they've worked for, they work hard for, um, but they always give back and, and, and do so many things. If we can come, all come from a place of kindness and, yeah, yeah, we can still have a laugh, we still take the mickey, we're not perfect, but if you come with it, again, set that tone and, and, and be genteel, the world just needs a lot more kindness in it right now. Um, and I think, you know, expressing that and make, making feel com people feel confident is something amazing. You know, like it's just mm. I think it, when things come full circle, it's just it, it makes things um, just uh, more powerful. It really does. Mm, totally. Can, <laughs> you, can you believe it's nearly the end of this episode? Oh, my God. And I cannot let you leave or disconnect since we're doing this online until I ask you about I think we share a similar obsession and that is with dogs and animals. I grew up um, literally on top of a veterinary clinic. So my dad's a vet and my bedroom was above the vet clinic. And so I've got a, a big love of animals. And I think that especially dogs teach us unconditional love. And I know you love your dogs. Do you think that they are teachers in like mindfulness and, and, and they can kind of teach us peace? 
Yeah, they do. And also forgiveness, <laughs> immediate forgiveness. And that's the other thing we have to do, you know. You just, uh, one of my great mentors, uh, who's a great friend of mine, and she lives in LA, she was the head of uh, international for Warner Brothers. And when the shit used to hit the fan, she'd say, Jen, snap out of it, put it in a box, tie it up with string, throw it out the window. <laughs> and and it was so true, you know. And so, yeah, I go back to my dogs. Obviously, they help me count my steps. Very important because my personal <laughs> trainer nails me on, on that one. But I, I just love, um, yeah, the peace and the stability they give you. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I would, if I could be a vet and I'd be that smart, that would set heaven to me in my next life. I need to come back and be full-time with animals. I've even thought, I used to, you know, the dog walking vans you see now with everyone. I, that Whenever I have a really hard day and I'm like, I'm going to get a dog walking van, I'm off to go. And that's my next job. Maybe when I, you know, maybe I have to retire, I'll have a second wind. I don't know. But, um, yeah, it's a blessing having animals. I think it really is. My dad has the same has the same thing, and he's like, "I'm going to sell the clinic, and I'm going to move to Torquay, and I'll be a dog walker." <laughs> uh, can you believe it? We are we're at the end, and you have shared so much of yourself with Thanks us. So Laura. many nuggets of information, so many gems. I've been taking notes as well and I'm like, it's all relationships and I've highlighted it. So thank you so much for everything you've shared. Is there one last little tidbit of information or mantra you're working with at the moment that you want to share with the listeners? Um, I was thinking about that the other day and I just really feel like that more than anything at the moment, don't make too many comparisons. Um, you know, be really, really be mindful um, that uh, there's really only one person that's you. Um, so be happy with you because uh, you only get to live that life. And if you can remember that it's just such a short time, so don't try and control your life. Um, and the only thing you probably can be better at mastering is your response to what life leads and gives you because um, I think if you can find the positive out of that, find the laughter and just remember to love people. I know that sounds really tacky but I've really learned to love myself a little bit more um, and it makes me love what is around me and what I do more. Perfectly said. Jen Fontaine, <laughs> thank you oh, so much. Thank you. An honour. Are you kidding me? It has been an absolute dream to have you on this podcast and I cannot wait to see you in real life very soon. Yeah, can I please come to your place and you make me some of those smoothies that you do? I'm trying. I have flagged so many of your recipes. <laughs> it's obscene. And uh, and you and I, look, I have one small thing I have to admit to. I've stopped drinking coffee a while back, but if you could just expand to a either a collagen type of thing that we can put in there into your extra smoothies, please. I'm going to be there with you like nobody's business. We're on it, or my friend. we need a lola berry tea because that's also <laughs> enough. But thank you. It's, you're amazing and thank you so much for having me. Oh, so thank you so, so much. I can see why I was so nervous at the start of this because you have achieved so much. You're so passionate but you're so giving and it's. I think that's very, very rare. So Thank you. You're wonderful and um, can't wait to cross paths again Thank soon. Thank you. We'll catch up when I'm in Australia. That's a wrap on another episode of Fearlessly Failing. As always, thank you to our guests. And let's continue the conversation on Instagram. I'm at Yummo Lollaberry. This potty, my word for podcast, is available on all streaming platforms. I'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and comment. And of course, spread the love. Mm -hmm.